The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning with me, if you would, and let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number nine, please. First Corinthians chapter number nine is where we'll be found this morning. And uh, we've, of course, been going through a series here on Sunday mornings that we've entitled, uh, This Changes Everything. And the, of course, the this in this changes everything is the message and the power of the gospel. And uh, thus far, we've looked at uh, some of the impact that uh, the gospel has uh, on our lives, not just in the fact that it's the power of God unto salvation, but also the fact that it is... Uh, it is how it, the Lord transforms us. It is His work in us day in and day out. See, the gospel message declares what Jesus did so that we could be saved. Because we're saved and because uh, the work is done in Him, which we'll talk about today even, but because the work is done in Him, we're secured and we have for sure a, a promise, a home in heaven. But it is through the gospel message, it's through the power of of Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit indwelled in us, that, that, pow- that process of sanctification takes place. We don't try to check boxes and do's and don'ts to make the change. It is a work that the Holy Spirit does in us, and it's through His power, and we understand that as well. And so we're gonna t- we've been talking about how that impacts us, and we've looked at the basis and, and, the, uh, uh, and the benefits of the gospel thus far. But this morning, as we look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 16, and Brother Matt, if you give us the slides up there, please, uh, then we will, of course, uh, go through this and consider Paul's birth burden for the gospel as well this morning. Look at 1 Corinthians 9 and verse number 16 with me, please. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness and for your love and for offering salvation to us, Lord. I would ask that you bless and give, a, give me the word to speak as I deliver your message here to, this morning. Help us to hear it, help us to apply it, and grow closer to you because of it. Lord, we want to honor and glorify you in everything that is said and done, that your will might be accomplished. And we do ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number 16, Paul said these words, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And as we continue this series that we've called This Changes Everything, I want to address what I believe and what uh, I believe the Scripture teaches to be a proper burden concerning the gospel message, a proper uh, motivation in our life concerning the gospel message. I, uh, it's my estimation, honestly, that this verse, these words that the Apostle Paul penned, if they're not the most, it's at least some of the most convicting, some of the most compelling, and some of the most honest statement that the Apostle Paul ever made in all of Scripture. He talks about being constrained uh, by the love of Christ. He talks about knowing the power of God unto salvation as well. We, we understand that. But here the Apostle Paul shares his, like the depth of his heart. Uh, as to why he does what he does. Now, to fully understand this one verse in verse number 16, we got to make sure that we understand it in context. We, uh, we need to make sure we understand where it's coming from and what's taking place. 
So the first thing we begin with is who is Paul writing to when he writes these things underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Well, what book are we reading out of? Say it out loud. It's the book of 1 Corinthians. And so we understand, we know it as the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians, but they were literal letters that Paul wrote in, in his day. And the Holy Spirit, of course, inspired the words. We understand how that worked. Uh, but the, the first letter to, to the Corinthians is a letter that was written to a church in the city of Corinth. Now, this, this church in Corinth, it was a particularly carnal church. It had many issues. It had many divisions within it. In fact, Paul would use much of these letters to deal with those issues to deal with what the Lord would have to happen through those issues and how to handle those uh, relationship-wise and all those types of things. He would also take the time and the Lord would allow him to answer questions that folks from the church had asked specifically, and he would take time to answer those in these, in these uh, letters as well. And while Paul was no doubt loved and admired by many in this church of Corinth, I mean, he held a, a special place in their hearts by many there were still some that were associated with that church that had ought against uh, Paul. There were some in this church that kind of um, questioned Paul's authority to give any instruction or to give any correction. They questioned his apostleship. And so uh, they not only questioned those things, they also were questioning his motivation in ministry. See, the, the verses prior to verse number 16, as we come through chapter 1 all the way through chapter number 9 into, uh, into the first verses of chapter number 9, Paul has spent some time uh, addressing the accusations that were brought against him, specifically regarding his purpose or motivation in ministry. Some apparently thought that the only reason Paul was doing anything he did, the only reason why he went about doing the way he did things and all that. Some apparently thought that Paul did it out of material sake, trying to gain material or monetary benefits. Now, if we know anything about the scriptures and how Paul wrote, we know some of the, the setbacks that Paul experienced, right? He says he was shipwrecked, he was beaten and left for dead. And I mean, you can go on and on down the list. And we know that if Paul was, in fact, he said, I know how to abound and I know how to be in want also. So if Paul was doing what he was doing so that he'd be monetarily or materially benefited, he was doing a pretty bad job of it, is what I'm trying to say. But here's the deal. Paul was being accused of that. And so he addresses the fact that he is not in ministry. He is not in the gospel ministry so that he could benefit monetarily or materially. And having addressed those accusations, now he's revealing his heart of ministry, why he preaches the gospel, why he has such passion behind it as well. He says, I'm not engaged in ministry. I'm not preaching the gospel so that I can gain material, uh, material uh, substances. I'm not in ministry so that I can uh, be benefited monetarily. The reason I am in ministry is because of what the Lord has done for me. And he begins to pour out his heart in the matter. In essence, you could sum it up like this. Paul is saying that the reason why I do what I do is because there's no other reason for living. The reason I preach, the reason I tell, the reason I go, the reason I experience everything I experience and, and go through what, the pain and the trial and the turmoils that I go through is because there's no better way to live because of what Christ has done for me. 
Now, there's a few things I understand before we go any further today. I understand that before me this morning is a group of people that have careers and lives and all those things outside of these walls of this church. And I also understand that the Apostle Paul was exactly that. He was an apostle. He was, a, he was called directly of God. In his work as an apostle, he worked as an itinerant missionary, a church planter, a pastor in some cases and such. And I understand all of those things about the Apostle Paul. And therefore, I also understand the fact that where he was and his calling and uh, his, if you wanted to call it vocation in that way, And I also know that there's many in here today that are not technically called what we would call full-time vocational ministry, okay? I understand that. I think you understand that today as well. However, there's another understanding that I have, and that is the fact that in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, when Christ gave the Great Commission, and He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teach, uh, uh, teach them to observe whatsoever things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. That was a message or a command, a commission that was given, yes, to the disciples, but not just for the disciples. It's a commission that is given for every single person that has ever accepted the gospel message. And so while Paul had a specific calling into what we would call maybe vocational ministry, and I know that many of you don't necessarily have that same call I am here to state this morning that each and every one of us, if we have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, have been commissioned to share His love with others who desperately need to hear it. Everybody on the same page with me this morning? And so as we consider that, and I'm going to share Paul's heart, and yes, he's an apostle, yes, he was a church planner, yes, he was a missionary, yes, he pastored, and all those types of things. But as I share his heart, let's see his heart as coming from a fellow believer not someone on the upper echelons of Christian service, okay? And so as we study this morning, I'm going to admit, and I will say completely and utterly, uh, honestly this morning, that my heart for sharing the gospel has not always been what it ought to be. And even if it is where it is supposed to be today, it might not be tomorrow if I'm not careful about it. And so the message at hand is not somebody standing up above you and saying, what is wrong with you? Get with the program. It is, a, it is literally a message where I'm kicking myself in the rear end and saying, listen, there's something greater at stake. And so my prayer is this, that this text before us will renew our desire and rekindle our burden for the message and the power of the gospel. Let me specifically state this, that in order to possess a genuine burden for the gospel, we must first develop a proper awareness and understanding concerning the gospel. If I'm ever going to have a proper burden of wanting to tell others about the glorious love of Jesus Christ, I first have to have a proper understanding and awareness of how it has impacted my life. Now, that's why I've spent several weeks already discussing that. And we'll, we'll spend a couple more even after this discussing this as well. But if I'm ever going to have the proper burden to tell others, I've got to be aware and understand what the gospel message has done in my life. I believe Paul understood that. And that's where Paul comes from here first in verse number 16. Number one, As we noticed this morning, a burden for the gospel, Paul's burden for the gospel, he says in verse number 16, for though I preach the gospel, 
I have nothing to glory of. Can I say this morning that, number one, Paul had a correct perception. When it came to what he did and why he did it, he had the right motives behind it. He was not, he was not as some accused him of, doing the things he did for Christ for earthly gain. And he goes on to express that to us. He expresses that to us in the fact that he shares that part of his perception, part of the motivation behind it was his realization of his position. He said, though I preach the gospel. Now, if we just stopped right there and said, I preach the gospel, that can become a very prideful statement, could it not? It could become a statement of, of worth. It could be a statement of, of somehow um, saying, look what I've done, and so therefore I deserve, or I've gained, or I've earned. But that's not where Paul stopped. He said, though I preach the gospel, he said, I have nothing to glory of. He recognized what Christ had done for him. He recognized where Christ had taken him from. And I believe that every single one of us who know Christ is our Savior already, we know that the immediate and eternal impact of that is the fact that we, are, we receive a home in heaven. Jesus himself said those words, right? I go to prepare a place for you. Amen. If you're saved, he's preparing a place for you. And when you take your last breath or he calls us home, it's going to be ready and it's guaranteed. I spoke in Sunday school class about the hope that we have, and we looked at Jacob's life as he was on his deathbed, and he spoke about the fact that of what he knew the promises of God and the hope he had in the promises of God, and the biblical hope is not the type of hope that we have today in this world. Today in this world, we say we hope that such and such takes place. It is like, man, it'd really be nice if it would, but there's a pretty good chance that it's not going to. Biblical hope is an earnest expectation. Biblical hope, like the scripture says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, what that means is like, although we've not seen heaven, although we've not touched heaven, although we haven't tasted heaven, we have hope that heaven is ours. It is if we could take a check to the bank, not, not having seen the millions of dollars that were promised written on that check, not having touched the millions of dollars that were written on that check, not having held them or anything like that, but taking it to the bank and knowing that it's going to cash. And that's the hope that we have. And, and listen, my friends, we understand that as a believer. That since we're saved, we have a home in heaven that's awarded us that, we, 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 that's promised to us. We have that hope, and we're looking forward to that. But listen, I don't care where we are in our life, whether we're still young or maybe older on the spectrum, I'm going to say this, that most of us, at the very least, the most, most of us, the majority of us, are expecting to live out the rest of this day and at least a few more. If you're here this morning... I'm sure that in your mind, you're expecting to keep, continue living throughout this year, even. I, I, I don't think any of us probably have pulled out our calendar on our phone or our, the, the written planner out of the purse, maybe, or whatever, and said, yeah, that date, that's the day I'm expecting to die. <laughs> I don't think that's probably on our agenda, right? Be why is that? Because we all are expecting to just continue to live. And the fact that we continue to, we're planning to continue to live and heaven comes after our death, it puts in our mind as though heaven and the, 
and the way that the gospel has impacted our life as being way off in the future. And therefore, we, we kind of disconnect the gospel and its power from our here and now and only apply it to our future. But here's what Paul says. He says, I know that it immediately and eternally my life has been changed because of the gospel message. I know that to be true. But he says, I also know the change here and now that the gospel message has made in my life as well. Do I have to remind you who Paul was again? He was a man that went by the name of Saul at the time, and as he was on the road, what we call the road to Damascus, right? He had this encounter with Jesus. Why was he going to Damascus? He was going to persecute Christians. He was going to put Christians to death. And here's the deal. Here's a man that used to say, if you are a Christian, I'm going to lock you up or kill you. And now he's a man who says, I am a Christian, and you ought to be one also. See the drastic change that has taken place? And because of his new position... Because of whose he is, because of what Christ has done, that is the motivating factor to tell others. He says, hey, I preach the gospel, but myself, I don't have anything to glory in. And not only do we see his position, but as we see this correct perception, we notice exactly what that perception is. He doesn't think too highly of himself. He doesn't think of himself as someone who has attained or earned anything It is out of the outflow of Christ's work in him that motivates him to go and to tell. Here's what I'm saying this morning. We we, we could close it down and go home after this, honestly, because this is truly the main truth. This is like what we need to take home today. But you say, hey, I have always wanted to be a good witness I've wanted to be willing to share my faith with others. I've wanted to be able to openly tell others that I'm a Christian and how they could become one also. But I just kind of, I kind of, I just am bad at it. I don't, I don't do a very good job at it. How do, I bec- how do I get a burden for souls? How do I get a burden for reaching others for Christ? I know what it is. If I just go and make myself do it, then ultimately, finally, I'll get a burden for it. If I just uh, sit back and wait, and I pray and pray, pray and pray and pray, then maybe God will just give me one. Can I tell you how you really, if you really want to have a burden for souls, if you want to have a burden for souls like Paul had, you've got to have a correct perception. Why would you do it? Why do you want to reach others? It ought to be out of the outflow of what Christ has already done in you. You hearing what I'm saying this morning? See, we have organized times where we go because I do honestly believe, Brother Tyler, what do I say? What gets scheduled gets done. And I truly believe that. What gets scheduled oftentimes gets done. But if I only go because it's scheduled, I don't have the right perception of it. And I'm not going to have a proper burden, even if I do go. The only way I'm going to have a proper burden to truly, freely share the marvelous love of Jesus is by it being an outflow of what he's already done in me. You want to have a burden for Christ? Remember the gospel and what it's done to you. You want to have a burden for reaching souls? Remember the gospel and what it's already done for you. And and I promise you, it will change your perspective 
on why and how. But not only do we see this correct perception, but this morning we also see that Paul said, hey, the reason I go is because of a ceaseless plea. He says in verse number 16 again, though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. He says these words, for necessity is laid upon me. See, here Paul is speaking of a persistence in that burden. It was continual, if you may. See, listen, here's the deal. And you, you definitely expect this of me as your pastor, I'm sure. But there's plenty of times where I realize that the Lord has opened up a door or that a person I'm talking to definitely needs to hear the gospel message, right? There's other times where I'm speaking with someone and there's no doubt that they need it, but I'm not as keen to it. You see what I'm saying? Paul is saying this, though, that because of his life in the gospel, he's continually, he, it's a ceaseless plea in his life to tell others about Christ and what he's done for him. And it's a continual thing in his life. And honestly, I pray that it would be that for me. I pray that it'd be that for you as well. But not only was it a continual plea, it was an undeniable plea as well. Here's the phrase again found in verse number 16. I have, he says, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. That phrase, necessity is laid upon me, it has the idea of being pressed upon, okay? Now, I'm sure that I'm talking to a bunch of better parents than I, I am, okay? But here's the deal. You might have taken your children to a place like the petting zoo, and you told them, I, we're going to go to the petting zoo today, and we're going to see this animal, we're going to see some goats, and we're going to see some horses and donkeys, and we're going to see this and that, and you're going to be, there might even be some bunnies there that you get to pet them and such, and the little five-year-old kid is so excited, oh, oh, I can't wait to go and so to the petting zoo, and, and, and can we go now? Well, we're going to leave at such and such time. Five minutes later, is it such and such time yet? And over and over and over again, they're ready to go. They're excited all the way in the car. They're, they're just beaming with joy for being able to go to the petting zoo. And you go to the counter and you buy the tickets and you pay all the money. And it's always overpriced. And, and, but because you love your children, you're willing to do those types of things and all of that. And so you go in there and as soon as, I mean, the kids are just, they're like trying to run ahead of you. And you're like, you got to stay with me. You know, these are wild. Uh, these are real animals and such. And, and, and so you're trying to be protective as well. And it's all fun and games until you walk through the door and the gate closes behind and they actually see the animal in front of them. And then all of a sudden, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to, I want to go home. And they're scared because now they actually see face to face this animal. Honestly, a five-year-old probably ought to be afraid of the goats. I mean, if you've ever been to a petting zoo, those things are like ninjas and out of nowhere, they headbutt you and you're like, what in the world is going on? And for a five-year-old, they're like the same size and such. So there's probably rightful so to, for them to be afraid. But by, by that point, I mean, you're dedicated. Like, it's over. There ain't no going back. You've jumped, you, you've dove, off, dove off the diving board. There's no return. It's like squirting all the toothpaste out of the toothpaste container. You can't put it back. I paid the money. We're not leaving. You're petting some animal. I don't care how scared you are. Scream, cry, people call Child Protective Services on me. You're petting an animal. <laughs> you walk them up to the animal, and they're like, they're, they're, they're fighting against you. No, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And in love, 
you grab their hand and you force it out there and say, see, it's nice. And if you don't pest them more, they're not going to be nice. And if you start crying anymore, I'm not going to be nice. No, anyway, but here's the deal. You kind of try to show them that there's nothing to be afraid of, but you're pressing upon them to understand that, okay? Here, here Paul says this, necessity is laid upon me, has the idea of being pressed upon. Paul was, it, Paul's saying it's like God was literally shoving him into the arena. God was literally taking him and saying, speak about me to these people. Now, the, his call to speak and tell others about Christ, he said, first and foremost, is out of the outflow of what Christ has already done in me. But as he lives in the gospel daily, he says, I just can't help but be reminded that because of what Christ has done for me, he's pressing upon me to be willing to tell others. It's constant, it's continual, it's undeniable. I cannot get over the fact that Christ wants me to share him with others. You say, that's just not me. I've heard people literally say, I don't have the gift of soul winning. Now, my friends, I believe that some have a greater gift and God has equipped them to be a, maybe a more outspoken witness. But every believer, let's go back to the beginning, every believer has been commissioned to share their faith. You say, I just don't want to do it. Well, if you were living in the gospel, I promise you, you would. Because here's what the words of Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more of his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He said, hey, I had, dis I had reserved already. I'm not going to speak of him anymore. But his power, his might, his work, his message was shut up inside of me like a raging fire. And I couldn't contain it any longer. When we live in the gospel, I promise you, the Lord's going to give you opportunities and you'll want to seize them. It was a personal, it, it, it was a personal plea as well. Because Paul said, this is, this is for me. This is, this is not for them. Isn't that how we do sometimes? We say, uh, man, what a great message. So-and-so needed to hear that. Paul said, this, this compelling, this plea isn't for somebody else. It's for me. And it's for me this morning as well. This message is for me, my friends. And would you be willing and humble enough to say it's for me as well? Lastly, we see this morning that as Paul spoke about his burden for the gospel, it came from a correct perception. He said it was because of a ceaseless plea. But lastly, it was out of a clear persuasion the last part of the verse in verse number 16, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. It's a consuming ambition that he had in his life. He definitely reveals his burden here and the fact that he was burdened to share the gospel. He was not happy apart from telling others about Christ. But one thing I'm glad to take away from this is the reminder of Jesus' words in the gospels itself. Where he said, come unto me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my 
burden is light. See, the burden of telling others for Christ doesn't have to be a weighty one in our life when we realize that the work of saving someone else is not on our shoulders. It's the work of Christ. And we're just the mouthpiece. We're just the vessel. We're just the delivery boy of the message. And God does the work. And while he was burdened to do a a right job of delivering the message, it wasn't an overwhelming one in his life because the Lord's burdens are easy. We also see, not only as he had this clear persuasion to tell others about the gospel, we see his burden, but we also see his liberation. He says these words, he says, uh, Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. It's like his greatest joy, his greatest happiness, his greatest release was when he was telling others about Christ. See, a lot of people live for a lot of things in this world. It could be their career. It could even be their family. And neither of those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. But when we make them the ultimate thing, they have become an idol. See, when we make Christ the ultimate thing, when we live in the gospel, the message is going to compel us daily. And we're going to see this clear persuasion and truly great joy will come from sharing. If you've ever had the opportunity, listen, if you've ever had the opportunity to share your faith, through your testimony or sharing the gospel, and someone come to know Christ as their Savior because of your efforts. Now, you didn't save them. I've had young people sometimes uh, that I've, I've able to share the gospel with, and they trusted Christ there, and they said, oh man, I remember that day you saved me. And there's, there's a little misunderstanding there. I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. We, we know that. We understand that. But if you've ever had the, part to be, had the opportunity to be a part of the process in which God used your work your, your sharing so that they might come to know him, you know the joy that results from being a part of that. If you've never done it, you're missing out on an extremely joyful time. But that's what Paul is saying. He's his true joy because woe is unto me if I don't preach it because I am, I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm, I'm uplifted when I am sharing. Listen, if you don't take anything from this message and you go home and say, well, that was a dud, it was convicting to me, and that's enough. But I pray that Paul's heart, as it was on display, would be some type of conviction in your heart as well. Because here's the deal. We've already discussed to great lengths already many of the benefits that we have gotten because we've, we've received the gospel message. Why would we want to keep that from anyone else? I mean, really, really, why would we deny someone else from being able to know that message? Well, they don't want to hear it from me. Literally, this past Monday, I went in to get my hair cut. Cade went first, and uh, he's, so I'm sitting over in the little waiting area, wait, uh, sitting and waiting, and I can hear the conversation of the other stylist or, you know, barber, whatever you want to call them, sitting right, sitting right here as she's cutting another man's hair. And they're talking about religion. And she's an atheist. And he's an atheist. And they're bad-mouthing Christians. And uh, I'm thinking, please don't cut my hair. Please don't cut my hair. Please don't cut my hair. 
Of course, she finished first before anybody else. She, she rings the guy out. Bobby? You, who's Bobby? That's me. So I get up. Take a seat in that chair. He's talking. What do you do for a living? <laughs> I'll tell you that I didn't want to tell her what I did. I was afraid I'd have some design in the back of my head or something, you know, whatever. And listen, the, the conversation didn't go anywhere. Listen, I'm, I'm being honest. The conversation didn't go anywhere. But I had that feeling of, I don't even want to talk to this person because they don't want to hear it. Here's the deal. It's not up to us. We don't know who wants it or not. And it doesn't matter who wants it or not. Our only job is to offer it. Amen. Not to be overbearing, not to be rude or ugly. You've seen those people with the picket signs outside, standing on the, they call it street preaching, standing on the side of the road, turn or burn, turn or burn, turn or burn. That's not, I promise you, nobody's coming to Christ because of that. It's just, it's, that's just the truth. Let's be honest about it. They're going to stand there and pretty much think you're a wacko. But that's why Christ said to speak the truth in love. And we just share the gospel. We have, we'll look for the opportunities. We look for ways where people are saying, man, I wasn't expecting for this to happen. And you say, well, I've been there. You want to know what helped me through this? And you share Jesus. Man, I'm a new parent, and I, I did not realize how little sleep I was going to get. Can I be honest with you? I've been there. You want to know what helped me? My relationship with Christ and the, and the other believers in my church that helped encourage me. Do you, you have that in your life? You, just simple ways like that. that we're, but when we are saying, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I don't, I, I, that's not me. I don't. It's, a, it's, a, it's a sign that we're not living in the gospel ourselves. I'm not saying we're not saved, but we're not, we're not living in the gospel ourselves. Because when we are, when we live in the gospel, just like Paul, we're going to have a correct perception and it's going to be the right motivation behind why we're doing it. Now, we've spoken about folks who have already known Christ and sharing that with others. Now, if you're here this morning, though, the reason why a message like this has been brought, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ yet, the reason why a message like this is brought is because the Bible over and over and over and over again is clear that He wants to save anyone and everyone. It is His will, as Peter wrote, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, the first step is to accept Him. Why would I accept Christ? What has He done for me? He loves you first and foremost. He has the, it is the greatest display of love ever known to mankind. You say, well, I love my wife. I, pretty, I love her pretty well. I love my children pretty good. You might love them, but the the purest love ever was displayed when Jesus gave his life. Scripture says it this way, no greater love hath any man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. And he wants you to be his friend. He wants you to be saved. He died for you is another reason. But he didn't stay dead, folks. He rose again. He did it all for you out of this great love. Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Mercy is not receiving something we deserve. But it says that for by grace are you saved through faith. 
Grace is getting something we don't even deserve. Why should I accept Jesus? Well, He loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you because He had mercy on you and not giving you what you deserve. And that He extends His grace, willing to give you something that you don't even deserve. What a wonderful and awesome Savior He is. Wouldn't we want to tell others about that wonderful Savior? That's what the message has been for the believer today. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, here's the invitation. Here's the ask. Would you trust Him today? Would you accept Him as your Savior? Would you stand your feet with me, please, as we close this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just out of respect of others. I'm going to ask three simple questions, and I'm going to ask that you respond to those questions with a simple uplifted hand. The first question is this. How many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I've trusted Christ as my personal Savior. Could I rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony saying, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. Praise God for that. Hands all across this auditorium. Praise the Lord for being in the presence of other believers. Would there be anyone here, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter, but would there be anyone here who would say, Pastor, I am not sure that heaven is my home. I'm not 100% positive that I've ever trusted Christ as my personal Savior. I would never embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or anything like that, but I would like to pray for you today. Now, I, my prayer cannot get you into heaven, but I would simply pray and ask God to help you to have the faith to trust Him, the courage to to ask someone or allow someone to show you from his word how you can know for sure that heaven is your home. And if you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, honestly, I do not know that Christ is my personal Savior. Can I please just pray for you? Slip your hand up and write back down. If that's you this morning, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Please pray for me. Then one last question. If you're here today and the first question you raised your hand and said, yes, I know Christ is my personal Savior, then this question is for you. If you're here and you know Christ is your personal Savior, who here would say, Pastor, pray with me that I would live in the gospel, that I would, that every day I'd, be, I'd recall what Christ has done already for me, that I'd yield to his spirit so that when he would give me opportunity, that I'd be ready, able, and willing to share his love with someone else. If that's your heart today, could I just pray with you? My hand is up. Hands all across the auditorium, honestly. And if that's your prayer today, I'm going to pray in just a moment. Music's going to begin to play. Brother Matt from the back, if you could help us with that. And if you'd like to come to the front, you can kneel here at the altar and uh, ask the Lord to, to help you with that. Or maybe right there in your seat, you call out to Him. But our Father, we do thank You for this day. Thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for this message. I ask now that You have Your will and Your way in this invitation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music is already playing, if you'd like to come to the altar, the altar's open this morning. Or maybe if you're unable to come, right there in your seat, you call out to the Lord and ask Him to help you to have this burden. Now, this burden does not come just because you sit there and hope for it to come. This burden doesn't even come just because you will yourself to do it. As we saw from the get-go, it is from an outflow of already knowing what Christ has done in you. That's the Honestly, when it comes to anything we do as a Christian, that ought to be the motivation for all of it. Not so that I get applause, not so that I get recognized, not so that I get this, or not so that I make God happy. Or yeah. Listen, my friends, our work for Him should always come from the outflow of what He's done in us. We really want a burden for, the, for souls. We really want to have a burden to reach others. It starts with us recognizing what He's already done in us. 
we live in that daily, what a difference it will truly make. Many are praying here at the altar already, some in, in their seats. And if the Lord spoke into your heart, call out to him today and, uh, and, and let him have his will in your heart today.